Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm Colby Bertram, joined alongside by Kyle Marshek. And during this episode, we're going to start off with a little bit of soccer. Uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the sport uh, I, I just love. Uh, so a lot of transfer news has been going on. Uh, but then on top of that, we're going to go into a little bit of basketball, a little bit of NBA, talk a little bit of Virginia Tech, uh, go into our ACC power rankings. Uh, so without further ado, Kyle, obviously you weren't able to be back on for the past episode, just you know, time complex and stuff. Have you been holding up? Yeah, I've been doing good. It's just been a busy week. You know how it is uh, just getting back. Mm -hmm. And uh, fortunately, I was able to hop on the tip-off show for uh, 103.5 or 105.3. I don't know. I might have dyslexia. Um, 105.3, the bear. Um, That was a blast previewing the VT game against um, Miami and then ultimately going to that game. And uh, we'll talk about what happened in that game later. But uh, let's just say me and my buddy Luke were not happy guys towards the end of that matchup. Well, for sure. Uh, and we'll definitely get into that. But um, as you're saying, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get in here. This. There is a lot of soccer news. Uh, obviously, for a while, I have been the soccer guy here on the 304 Sports Pod. So I'm going to kind of guide all you listeners uh, through this uh, to give you a little bit of a sense here. And we're going to go ahead and start off because there's been a lot of news in the Premier League, the league that I follow the most. So I'll, I'll give you guys a little bit of quick analysis. I don't want to take too, too long on these. There's no like any like crazy move like Ronaldo to United in the summer uh, or uh, anything along those lines in the Prem. It's just all kind of like, you know, these moves that are kind of to help build for like depth. Some of them are solid moves, but then uh, like others can be like for the future. Uh, Specifically when you're speaking of depth, Callum Chambers going to Aston Villa. Um, Definitely not great for Arsenal to lose uh, multiple center back uh, pieces this uh, off season. They lost uh, Pablo Mari to Udinese. Uh, I believe, and now it is uh, Callum Chambers to Aston Villa. Um, so they're a little bit low on center back depth. Going to have to start using some of their youth talent. But for Villa, this is a solid transfer. Uh, I don't think the fee really dropped, and if it did, it was probably wasn't that much. And he's a very versatile defender. Uh, has played right back for Arsenal, played center defensive mid, I believe, for Arsenal as well. Played center back, so he can do a little bit of anything. So coming off the bench, he'll be a vital piece for uh, Steven Gerrard just to be able to um, not have to worry about, you know, where exactly he can put him, but just, hey, Chambers, I need you to play here. Cool. And then just be set with that. So pretty solid move for them. Uh, Next up, uh, one of the ones that kind of got me excited the most, uh, and I'm definitely going to go ahead and I posted this one on my 3304 Sports Twitter um, but it was Julian Alvarez to Manchester City. And this is actually a pretty decent signing uh, by the blue side of Manchester. Um, as this young man has been doing really, really well in the Argentinian leagues. Uh, currently, during this season, in the Argentine Primera División, he has 20 goals and 12 assists in 35 matches. So that's almost averaging a goal contribution per match. Um, and he was transferred for under 20 million pounds and is 21 years old. So I think that's a very good deal for a team that has been struggling at the striker position, but not at the creativity and goal scoring, uh, you know, contributions. I think someone like Julian Alvarez can uh, contribute really well in the Pep Guardiola system. Uh, so it's, it's a solid move by them. 
next up, uh, continuing in the Newcastle is buying everybody tour. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes uh, from Olympic Lyon has, uh, uh, per Fabrizio Romano, confirmed a deal to go to Newcastle for about the value of $48 million. It's $40 million, I believe, plus $8 million in bonuses. Uh, and this is another huge signing for Newcastle. I mean, we talked about Diego Carlos possibly going there, but that deal's kind of stalled. Sevilla may not be interested in getting rid of him, particularly when they're second in the league. Um but Guimara is, is another solid move. Uh, moving from Lyon, where he did start for a time, maybe he was rotating the season. I haven't kept up fully with his stats, but he's someone that's earned some time with the Brazilian national team. He's a strong central defensive midfielder, and I think could make a really solid pairing with Isaac Hayden, who's got a little bit better and better every year in the Prem. Uh, and whether they get a center back or not, I think a pairing between Guimaraes and Hayden could actually work to help start pulling this team out of the relegation zone alongside other reinforcements like Kieran Trippier and Chris Wood that have happened over this offseason. But it's not just that. They're still rumored for multiple other players like Jesse Lingard. They still have their, uh, uh, you know, they're still dipping into um, Diego Carlos and, I believe they're even looking at like other players. I, I don't even remember who, but like their names are mentioned with the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham and uh, Manchester City and United and like all these other teams because they're just willing to throw their money everywhere right now. It's it's like a mini AC Milan situation from a few years ago. So hopefully Newcastle and United fans are excited about that because you got your uh, board is actually willing to spend money. Um, and then the final move that we can really talk about in the Prem, which isn't confirmed yet. Uh, but is Luis Diaz. Originally, it was rumored he was going to go to Tottenham, but Liverpool have went in from behind and taken that deal from Tottenham, just like another team did, and we'll talk about that player shortly. Um, for a deal that's rumored currently to be $40 million plus 25 in bonuses, uh, Luis Diaz has been incredible for uh, Porto this season uh, in the uh, Portuguese league, and I think he'd be an excellent piece to eventually replace uh, like a Mane or a Sala on this team. At the very least, he's going to come off the bench and have a lot of work now, uh, if that is the case. And it is definitely something that uh, Liverpool needs because their forward, their center forward position hasn't been too reliable. But granted, he isn't a center forward. I think that if you can get him in and keep like that hard press up or maybe even try him at center forward, I think you can see some success there. So a lot of really big uh, Prem moves, and we'll hit up the Prem again. But before we hit up the Prem, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit of European football moves. And there are three moves I'm going to talk about. We're going to start in Spain and then move to the biggest move of this winter window in Italy. So to start off, a Manchester United player, Martial, has uh, finally left the club, but he's currently out on a loan to Sevilla. Um, there's stuff coming out this winter that it looks like the club was trying to flame Mar- frame Martial in the negative light, which is not acceptable whatsoever. Um, and he was wanting to get minutes. He wasn't getting minutes, etc. And now he's in a place where he actually will get time at Sevilla. Uh, he talked about they talked with the manager and he's happy with the vision for the club. And he wants to spend the next five months doing well there. And I'll wish him nothing but the best. I mean, he was a really good young player and, you know, just back a couple of seasons ago, he was one of the better strikers in the Prem. So pretty cool to see him shine again. And the other move in Spain that we can talk about is Adama Traore to Barcelona, another player that Tottenham were looking to get just last week. And now the deal has been swept out from under them and sent to Barcelona on a current loan deal with a 30 million buy option. 
Um, I will say for Barcelona, this deal does not make any sense. For Tottenham, it did make sense because he's someone that could have played the right wing back position. Uh, it's a position I've been desperate for him to play for years because he's just not great creatively going forward. But he's got so much pace and so much strength that he's just kind of a bully on that right side. And maybe that could happen in Barca, but to me, he's not like an out and out right back. And they're not going to start him at right wing when they just bought Farron Torres. So either Adama Traore has just been brought in for wing depth, which then means that I don't know why they slapped 30 million of obligation to buy him for, or they're going to change their formation and possibly start him as a wide mid wide back. And if they do that and they let him like basically run up and down the sideline, then this is a move that could really work out because I like his uh, ability to be able to work the whole side of the sideline. But if they just use him as a backup winger, this move's going to be very pointless and it's going to look really stupid if they actually go and do buy him on a full-time deal. And the final big, big transfer to talk about here uh, and one that has been talked about uh, ever since this past summer is Dusan Vlahovic who is going from Fiorentina, not to Tottenham or Arsenal, which he was originally rumored to, but of course to the, uh, basically the uh, king of Serie A clubs in Juventus. Uh, granted, they aren't at that point currently, but I mean, this is an amazing move from Juventus. He's a highly talented young man uh, who has been tearing it up for Fiorentina over the past two seasons. Uh with last season, he played 37 matches with 21 goals and three assists. And this season being even better, he currently has 17 goals and two assists in 21 matches. So the young Serbian going to Juventus feels like it's a dream come true for uh, for uh, Massimiliano Allegri and his side. This this is perfect for them. I mean, there's not much else, uh, much else to say. They didn't really have like a national striker replacement for Ronaldo. Um I feel like they haven't trusted Dybala to be their striker for like a long time now. Uh, Dybala could possibly be leaving this summer because there's possibly, I think there's a little bit of rumored hang up in his contracts between him and the side. So getting this young man in for a huge fee is certainly worth it. Uh, he's been competing with the best of the best strikers in Serie A um, to put his name up there and try to get a golden boot for himself. And certainly with the creativity, like with the creative potential that Juventus has with their talent, I think that he could succeed there. So another huge move, um, definitely one of the best moves that Juve's had in a while. Um, though granted, I mean, my only concern is we felt that way about Matthias Delict, and I still really like him. He's still really young too for a center back, but he has struggled, relatively struggled during his time in Serie A. So that is everything with the world. That is everything with England. But we have two more transfers to talk about here, a little bit American-based and Premier League-based. Uh, the first one, uh, Greg Berhalter talked about a little bit last night. Um, I don't think we're going to have too much to add here, Kyle, but Matt Turner, it sounds like he is confirmed to be going to Arsenal with the also the added uh, clause, or not clause, but idea that Burton Leno is going to leave on a free next summer to go to uh, any club that he wants, whether it's on a free or whether it's uh, overall, it doesn't matter, but that's, that's the idea. Yeah. I mean, um, 
you know, obviously uh, I'm not as good with European football. We all know what the expertise lies here um, in this podcast, but you know me with U.S. soccer and when another kid with serious talent goes over to the Prem of all leagues in Europe, but just going over to Europe in general, um, it's a good sign to tell for the U.S. men's team going forward. Um and that's going to be the general trend. We'll be talking about one more young goalkeeper right after this. But, um, you know, Matt Turner is going to be a part of a, you know, growing and a rapidly growing group that is over in Europe that have had a serious pre- presence in uh, the Premier League for a handful of years now. Yeah, it does seem like this is like uh, the second generation. We'll talk about the young man uh, next. But this does seem like the second generation of American goalkeepers going to the Prem. With the last generation being, of course, like the Brad Guzans of the world, Brad Friedel, um, Tim Howard. There's probably even a name that I wouldn't even remember that's in there, but like those three were huge in the Prem for a little while uh, and were able to get their minutes there. Uh, but now, you know, you have Zach Steffen, you have Matt Turner going there, um, you've got even Horthvoth uh, in the championship. But now we're going to possibly have Gabriel Sl- Slamina. I apologize if I'm getting his name wrong. But the young 17-year-old wonder kid uh, is looking to possibly have a 10 million pound move to uh, one of multiple Premier League sides. Yeah, I mean, looking at the reports, he's supposed to be a really, really athletic goalkeeper, someone who knows how to man the field despite his youth. Um, And now, you know, it's again, we're trending upwards rapidly right now because the U.S. men's national team's best three goalkeepers might all be coming to the Premier League as of right now. you know, Paredes is in the conversation too, but yeah, I mean, right now the general trend, I mean, Stefan's been at Man City for a handful of years now. Matt Turner's uh, confirmed to Arsenal. Horvath's been at Nottingham Forest, or he just got transferred to Nottingham Forest. Um, and now we have Selenina over um, possibly in the Prem as well. So I'm excited to see whatever team grabs them. He's 17. So we can't confirm that he's going to get a ton of minutes right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um or will he uh, for a handful of years, maybe, but that's how it goes for young keepers going over to the prem. But that really, I think kind of designates the level of talent and rapidly growing depth we have at the goalkeeper position here in the U S. Yeah, d- definitely. Not only the goalkeeper position as well, but what a winter window this has been for American talent as a whole. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, paradise uh, going to Wolfsburg. And then on top of that, you also have Ricardo Pepe who went to uh, Augsburg. Uh, there's just been a lot of U.S. Uh, talent moving during this winter. And, I mean, obviously, as a, as a, you know, an American and as someone who loves football, it is definitely a uh, really good thing to see as not only is the World Cup in Qatar coming up next winter or this winter, shoot, but uh, uh, the 2026 one that's going to be in the Northern America side of with Mexico, Canada, and U.S. Because I, I've always dreamed personally that, our U.S. team can at least compete, possibly having their best outing in the World Cup ever on home soil. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. Um, you know, they got another win against El Salvador last night. I, um, to be honest, I'm not sure how many more games we have left in the qualifiers, but I know it's either none or very few because it was in the final round there. So that might be it. Um, I mean, you can confirm Cold Yorn, you know it better than me, but I'm really excited because, you know, the way they went out a handful of years ago where they had that huge chance where they just needed one more win and they dropped a 2-1 game to Trinidad and Tobago was just unacceptable. And uh, um, clearly from then on, U.S. has been an embarrassment on the world stage. And so this is a great way to come back, end up second in the table. I would have been really happy with sticking in first, but Canada's really been moving as of late. Um, but still very happy. Um, you can't really compete with guys like Alfonso Davies sometimes, but still the world talent, I think 
um, is really on display and U.S. is trending upward rapidly right now. Yeah, I do believe we are nearing the end of World Cup qualifiers right now. We are currently placed in second ahead of Mexico and one point behind Canada, who has not lost a single game, which is actually very surprising to me. Good for them. Um, But that top four currently uh, looking in the CONCACAF, Actually, I believe it's not Cap. I don't want to be wrong on that. But uh, with it being Panama, Mexico, U.S., and Canada, and I believe, if I remember right, the top three make it in and the fourth has to go into a qualifying. I believe. I don't fully remember I'm, on that. I'm going to confirm you on that. I think it is. Yeah, I think Panama would have to go into a qualifying match. I don't know if it's with Costa Rica or if it's a different qualifying stage. But No, no, no. I, I think it's with like one of the teams from like the Asian Pacific or something. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, no, that's all good, and obviously it will be very nice if we can actually qualify through and through for the World Cup this time around. Uh, one more point for us on Selenina. I actually pulled up this article here from 90 Minutes, and apparently not only was it the Prem, but he's also had interest shown from him from other clubs around the world. Uh, I remember talking with you pre-show that apparently Juventus, there was an article that Juventus was looking at him um, just before Christmas, uh, but apparently also Bundesliga sides have considered making a bid, and on top of all that, Atletico Madrid. And if you don't know anything about Atletico Madrid, Kyle, know this. This club knows how to make world star goalkeepers. Well, now I do. (laughs) (laughs) Again, um, you know, it's all just a general relativity with it. And when you get a handful of goalkeepers, all, you know, big names in the U.S. scale, um, getting interest and getting plenty of minutes over in Europe, it's huge. Again, trending upwards. I mean, not to mention we have plenty of other young players over there. Pulsic is with one of the best clubs in Europe. Gio Arena uh, is over there. And not to mention Wes McKenney is with one of the best clubs in Europe, I guess technically, although they haven't been playing as well as they should have. Um, so, you know, they're all with big-name clubs right now. Gio Arena is playing alongside one of the biggest stars in the world, Erling Holland. Yep. So, you know, it's just we're really getting so many American names on the biggest stage, and it's really incredibly motivating to see that the u.s is trending rapidly upwards right now absolutely a big thing for the u.s uh i, I believe i'm right on this too i just want to talk about some of the political Madrid keepers real quick before we move into basketball the names that you might recognize here kyle includes belgian starting keeper Thibaut courtois uh slovenian starting goalkeeper jan oblak i believe it's oh yeah i don't want to feel wrong on that um uh david de gea uh, was also there, and he's currently starting for Manchester United, was starting for Spain. I know he got replaced, but those are like the three big names that I know. I think there may have been another, but it, it's slipping my head. Well, Yano Block and David De Gea, even for a, an average um, American fan such as I, I know those two names very well. Um, I mean, like I said, I was a former goalkeeper in high school. Not that mm-hmm. that really much. Um, I wasn't very good or anything, but I had guys who I appreciated the way they played. And De Gea and O'Block were probably the two best, um, except for, uh, geez, I can't think of his name. You you know who I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Who's that next best goalkeeper? I mean, you just talked about Courtois. Uh, man, I can't think of it. Yes, Neuer. Yeah, Manuel Neuer. Yeah. And so, other than him, those are two huge names. So, I think that's pretty uh, self-explanatory. Absolutely like that is looking for a guy like Slanina, then um, obviously we're on a really positive trajectory with our young talent right now. Yeah, particularly him. Looks like there's a lot of potential with him, which you would love to see. Um, But with that all in mind, that is everything we currently have transfer news wise. Um, 
Whenever we bring you the podcast next week, the transfer window would have passed. It will pass January 31st for, I believe, most if not all leagues. And there's certainly going to be some big transfers by then. So you will be able to get a little bit of more soccer news before we just have more general news and talk about Prem and whatnot. But with all that out of the way, let's go ahead here and go into the professional side of basketball, uh, the NBA. And just this past week, uh, the biggest news we have here for the NBA is uh, that the NBA All-Star starters were announced. And I do want to talk about this um, just because I think it's very interesting, these lineups. Um, I feel like there's one name that might be a little bit more talked about than the rest. But to go through it, uh, currently the 2022 East All-Stars are Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Trey Young, and DeMar DeRozan, uh, all players I think that certainly have earned it. And personally, that's my, also how I feel in the West. As you're looking at LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Andrew Wiggins, Stephen Curry, and Ja Morant. Yeah, um, I think the obvious surprise there is Andrew Wiggins. I think he has been having a good season. I do think he's an all-star. Um, but, you know, that brings us to the conversation of who we think is snubbed. I don't know about you, Cole Bjorn. I think Luka Doncic could have been a guy that got put in that slot, although he's not really a three. He's more of a two. So in that case, he'd be replacing guys like John and Steph. Um, so I see where they're coming from. I guess supposedly this would be a weaker year at the small forward position. So I understand. Um, but I was incredibly surprised by that. But again, I do think he deserves it. Um, I would have him more as a, as a reserve. I think there's other guys, like I said, you could slip someone up there, um, you know, with Luka Doncic in the conversation. But it is tough because they just are kind of weak at that position this year. Um, a lot of ways you could play around it. But, you know, he, I guess, technically is the best small forward in the West. So I'm glad he made it. Otherwise, my immediate reactions, um, the way they design the lineups on NBA.com, they have Giannis mm-hmm. at the four. Kevin Durant at the five for the East. Um, I found that surprising. I think both mm-hmm. of them are obviously here fours, um, but you know how the, the way the game is developing lately, um, there really is no true center anymore. Even Jokic uh, moves the ball like a point guard. I mean, he's one of the best ball distributors, in my opinion, in the NBA. Um, so with that being said, you know, it's a new game. Uh, like I said, they have LeBron James and Nikola Jokic um, both listed at that four spot, too. So, like I said, no real pure centers other than uh, Jokic, I guess you could say. But Giannis could certainly play that spot. But uh, just with the amount of talent they have at the uh, four or five spot, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this game is played. Um, you know, I think the main theme going into it, though, is how can they make it more competitive? Because it really just turns into a shootout towards the end of the game. Um, so I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what new gimmicks they might have apart from, you know, I really liked it when they had captains drafts. I thought that was fun. That made it a little more fun, a little more competitive, but trying to find a more competitive way going into this game with all this stacked talent and also what the reserves could be. I'm really excited to see who's going to be on the bench. Oh, for sure. That would all be very exciting. Uh, I will say, because I know a lot of people are going to be very surprised by these Wiggins, uh, by this Wiggins uh, pick. Here's personally how I look at it. Uh, the surprising thing is, is if you actually look overall at his time in the NBA, he has received the most minutes uh, or the least minutes uh, per game this season uh, with the Warriors. But he has been the number two for Stephen Curry uh, for most of his time in Golden at Golden State. And he's just kind of been getting a little bit better and better. Uh, he's been at Golden State for a few years now or you know, a few seasons, really. Um and this year, he's averaging 18.1 points. He is averaging 48.3% field goal percentage, which is really good. I don't know where that ranks. 
but I know this is going to rank high, 41.2% from three, his by far best on his career. Uh, and then he has 4.2 rebounds, 2.1 assists, almost a steal, and a little over half a block. It's not the most incredible stats, but for the number two team in the West, the number two guy for Steph Curry throughout at least most of the season, that might change with Clay coming back. Um I think he's been a solid piece for the Warriors for a while. And I mean, it might even be a hot take amongst the NBA community, but I personally think that he probably should have been an all-star bench player. Uh, certainly last year. I think he, sh- he should have at least had one more appearance in the all-star gate team before now. Yeah, I can't help but agree again. I think this is going to be an incredibly exciting lineup and I'm glad that uh, Wiggins is finally getting his respect. Um, I mean, you mentioned the stat with the minutes. I think it's kind of self-explanatory. And like I said, I think it's a weaker year at the small forward position in the West, but I'm really glad that he got that spot. And again, really well-rounded lineup all around, as you were mentioning. Absolutely. It's going to be very exciting, exciting, as you said, to see who's going to be on the bench. Uh, Obviously you'll be thinking and looking for the likes of Booker and Chris Paul and, uh, I don't think James Harden would be in it, but I don't, I don't know who else I can really think of uh, in the East. Oh, Zach Levine would certainly be one. Um, but it's going to be very exciting to see who all gets there for the All-Star game. I believe that happens right after trade deadline. But, yeah, that'll be nice. Um, yeah, and I, and I, oh, there's other guys, too. I expect Rudy Gobert to get picked. So, oh, yeah. yeah, you're right. And maybe maybe Paul George might be in the uh, picture as well. So there's a couple of guys who um, – you are going to be in the picture that uh, will really add to it from the bench again, really deep year overall, just not necessarily at the small forward position. Oh no, absolutely. Um, But with that, there hasn't really been any like trades or anything or any like crazy NBA news from what I've been able to see. So really from there, we get to move on to a little bit of NCAA and we're going to go ahead and get this out of the way. Um, But I think it's also been insane to talk about. I think there's a little bit of takes that we can have with this and a little bit of just overall excitement to talk about these past two Kansas basketball games and podcast listeners. If you don't know already, if this is your first time hearing me talk about Kansas basketball, I grew up on Kansas and Kansas state basketball. So I am a huge uh, Jayhawks uh, fan guy in a sense. And if you guys have not kept up with the past two games for the Jayhawks, they have been insane. One of them for not as good of a reason, but another one just for a good reason. And those games, uh, if you have seen those, Kyle, I don't know if you've watched them, but it was Kansas against Kansas State, uh, the Sunflower Showdown in the Little Apple of, I think it's, I remember, they, I think they call it Little Apple Manhattan. Um, and then you also have the rematch of Kansas versus Texas Tech, which went to double overtime. Two incredible games. Yeah, it looks like it was two barn burners. I've seen highlights. Uh, and to be honest, I didn't get to watch too much of them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the scores kind of indicated themselves. And, you know, what the freaking score box is, too. How about Agbaji? That dude is a freak. 37 points in that double OT game against the Texas Tech Raiders. He's, he's a freak. He's one of the most athletic guards I've seen. And that boosts his stock a ton. So that dude is an absolute stud. Yep. And then I. Sunflower showdown. Um, again, Kansas State is kind of on that bubble picture. Uh, they might actually kind of slip out of the picture by now. Um, not that a loss to Kansas is really a bad loss at all. Again, 29 from Ag- Agbaji. That kid is, you know, so persistent. And Jalen Wilson was big too. 
too. So they have a ton of talent mm-hmm. on that roster, really deep too. And then even before they had a tight matchup against Oklahoma, that went down to the wire too. They only won it by three. And again, um, you know, Agbaji didn't even get to uh, really contribute that much, but Jalen Wilson again. So a, a deep roster. Um, Kansas is such a fun team to watch. And one of my uh, favorite picks going into the NCAA tournament. Um, and you have to be happy as a Kansas fan, 17 and two on the season, three close games again, in one of the most, if not the most competitive conferences, maybe ever in NCAA basketball history. Um, that's three teams that are, you know, towards the middle of the conference, other than Texas tech and all three of the games. I mean, Kansas state's nearly dead last. If not, they are dead last in the big 12 and that game goes down to the wire. That tells you how freaking good the big 12 is. Could be one of the first conferences to have maybe only one or two teams, not make the NCAA tournament they are just freakishly good all the way around oh no i love the big 12 and all these teams are really good um it is certainly the conference to watch if you haven't been already um just a quick thing for both games and i'll give you one big point uh first of all you're absolutely right uh getting jalen wilson more and more involved is great uh he didn't start off this season hot um i know he had like some issues that he had to deal with off the court uh but now he's been getting more and more back on more minutes and he was looking good particularly against kansas state five and nine 16 points, uh, 10 rebounds, just a really good night from him. And also an incredible night from McCormick, someone who has also had his struggles this year, Bill Self even going as far to benching him for Mitch Lightfoot. And he was able to pick up 15 rebounds and 11 points in state, which is pretty good. But uh, honestly, not even a bad loss for Kansas State, though. Granted, Kansas State was in the lead by 16 going to halftime. They're up 50 to 34. Um, so they really did blow that lead. But I mean, it just shows that not only can Kansas State compete with the best because they showed it with the two games prior when they beat ranked teams. I believe it was Texas Tech and Texas. But on top of that, Nigel Pack putting up 35 points on 12-18, um, having an incredible night for Kansas State. Um, he was almost like, uh, was it McGusty for Miami who uh, came up against for Jay Tech last night? Like, he just looked like a walking bucket. Any anytime the ball was uh, shot by Pac in the first half, he was scoring. The second half, a little bit less, he cooled down. But that first half, like he was insane. And it is really good to see it for Kansas State because I think they can knock off some more teams, have a respectable enough Big Twelve record to give the committee a little bit of thought to look at them. And obviously, the SEC Big Twelve SEC challenge is going to be huge. Big Twelve teams who are at the bottom got to be winning if they want to make that tournament. I at least in my opinion. But, you know, great night from Kansas State. They just weren't able to pull it off. KU coming with an incredible comeback. My dad even texted me during the game because, in a sense, he I go for the KU side. He goes for the K-State side. And he was texting me like, oh, yeah, Kansas has, like, no veteran leadership or anything. And it's just it's just kind of it is what it is. And then I, I watched the whole comeback. And I'm like, sorry, sorry, what about not having veteran leadership to come back? I, 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 I don't think I quite heard that. So, he and I kind of <laughs> jokingly, yeah, he and I kind of having a little bit of joking banter, but nah, he 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 definitely face palmed from that, as probably most people in Manhattan did. But meanwhile, hey. yeah, meanwhile, my dad and I are texting about how Syracuse lost to Pitt, so we're in two different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> no, exactly, and then hey, you're gonna have Syracuse versus Virginia Tech at some point too, so that'll be something. Yeah, that'll be a good one. <laughs> oh yeah. But then actually even from there as well, as you said, Ochai with a big game. And how about Ochai against Texas Tech? 37 points. He was horrible from free throw, which just 
made me really scared because he missed one of every single of his, uh, of, of his like two chance free throws. And it just hurt after time, but putting up 37 points in a game where you're up against one of the better teams in the big 12, uh, surprisingly enough, uh, at least in my opinion, I don't think, and at least I didn't expect for Texas tech to still be this dominant in the first year of a new coach. Um, but again, just to make sure that the other team has a spotlight, what about Bryson Williams from Texas Tech? 14 and 19, another walking bucket, four for four from three, 33 points. Had an incredible night for Texas Tech in a night where Terrence Shannon and uh, Mick Cooler uh, were not getting anything. Shannon only having five, and Mick Cooler, uh, Mick Cooler, I think, uh, only having two. So when both the other like stars for Texas Tech weren't able to shine, here comes Bryson Williams to save the day. Almost. Yeah, um, Bryce, but then, he's boosting his draft stock up a ton. I'm just looking at his numbers right now. Super, super oh yeah. efficient. 6'8", 240, so he's big at that 3-4 spot. Dude, 48.1% yep. from three. Not that he shoots a ton of threes, but that's ridiculous. And then 54% from the field. This kid is unbelievable. Oh, no, he's an incredible talent there for Texas Tech. And he'll certainly be a, be a big piece in uh, any wins that they get this season, particularly when it comes to tourney time. Um, but then for Kansas as well, Bill Self talks about it. The young KJ Adams, uh, five-star forward coming off the bench, really getting, I, I don't know if this is his most minutes against Texas Tech, but he certainly had a, a lot of value in those minutes. He was fighting for every single rebound. Uh, he was going and putting up some baskets for the side, uh, was two for two from his field goals, two for three from his free throws, uh, got four rebounds uh, on his time in, and he was just a unit. Uh, was working his butt off to make sure that Texas Tech wouldn't really get anything um, decisive. And it was an incredible game from him. Uh, personally, would have loved to see a little bit more Remy Martin. I was surprised when Bill Self basically benched him for the rest of the game after like a little bit of time in the fourth quarter. Um, but, hey, I mean, a win's a win. Uh, obviously, you'll be seeing more Remy Martin like more and more as his uh, knee starts to get better. And in a night where Wilson and uh, Brown uh, Brown kind of struggled, Otai Baji just kind of put the team on his back and said, we aren't going to lose an Allen. We aren't going to get swept by Texas Tech uh, and be the third sweep of Bill Self's career in the Big 12. And only having two sweeps in his long coaching career is very, you know, incredible. And they've both very surprisingly been recently. But the one point I want to bring up here, because uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to make this point, and I'm going to be definitive about it now. Um, I think these past two games, and particularly with how he's been playing this season, Ochai Abaji is my front run- runner for the Naismith Award. Like, yeah, I mean, good. it's explanatory. You know, it, it kind of acts as that Heisman award um initially there was other guys i mean chet holmgren's been performing well they have that other big guy over at gonzaga but considering the conference he plays in and the numbers he's picked putting up um against ranked teams too i mean 37 against texas tech yeah mind you had extra minutes because of double ot but that dude does not leave the floor he's a workhorse off the ball he's incredibly efficient and he's one of the best finishers in college basketball that i've ever seen um not to mention the kid can shoot uh mm-hmm. I, I, he's my number one too right now again those guys over at gonzaga make a run for it but just considering the conference they're in um i have to give it to these guys who are performing in the toughest conference in college basketball and that is without a doubt the big 12 i mean not even that though if you look at his stat line as a whole because i don't know how many people have been able to uh with the most minutes he's had in his career here as a jayhawk but still not by much he's only getting like about a minute more than he did last year 
He's upped his field goal percentage by 10%, going from 42% last year to 52% this year. He's upped his three-point percent by 10%, going from 37.7% last year to 47% this year. Uh, his free throw is still very lackluster at 69.2, but, I mean, when you're get, scoring from uh, you know the, from the field, it's not that big of an issue. Uh, his most rebounds with five. He doesn't have his most assists, but still 1.4 for shooting guards, relatively respectable. And then about half a block, almost a steal. Uh, he's getting less and less personal fouls per game, and his turnovers still aren't egregious, averaging 21 points a night. Like, those are incredible stats. Like, you, you don't see many players with those types of stats, obviously why they're up in the nation of conversation. But I just don't think that, like, you know, to me personally, I agree that the competition is certainly a huge factor in this. The fact that you're coming up against Big 12 teams uh, and possibly the best of the Big 12 I've seen in my lifetime and still being able to put this up. Um, but then the fact of he's able to do it under pressure, too, with the particular two games, the last two against Kansas State and uh Texas Tech really being Naismith award-winning games, specifically the Texas Tech one, due to the fact that he hit that clutch three to send it into double overtime and put up the 37 points. Like, you know, not only was it the 37, but it was the clutch three and the fact that he almost shot 60% from the three. Like, he's just been absolutely incredible this year. And, wow, there's not much else to say about it. He's just an incredible player. Yeah, I think it's self-explanatory. The kid's a stud, um, and the writing's on the wall with him. He's a he's a big talent and a big conference for a big team. I think he's going to be a real threat for that number one pick. Absolutely. He's certainly going to be up and around that range. Um, so, yeah, a lot of exciting stuff for Kansas basketball. If you guys want to watch very exciting basketball, I'll definitely say not only Kansas, but I would also say just, you know, Big 12 in general. Um, very, very exciting. And specifically, I will also note to uh, tomorrow – Uh, At 6 p.m., well, I say tomorrow. We're recording this on Friday. But Saturday at 6 p.m. is going to be the Big 12 SEC Challenge matchup of Kansas versus Kentucky. So another uh, top two top 15 teams matching up. And that's going to be another insane matchup. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, particularly, you know, with the two players that have been shining this year from Ochai at Kansas to Oscar Shibwe uh, with Kentucky, who transferred him from West Virginia. Yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, whenever you get these challenges, it's always neat to see the different styles of play. I mean, when you get the ACC challenge versus, um, you know, like this this year we had uh, Sir- or, um, Maryland, excuse me, facing off against um, BT for the Big Ten yep. ACC challenge. I forgot who Syracuse played, but it's always a kind of a mix of styles, even though you wouldn't think it varies that much. Um, but I think this is probably one of the best uh, challenge matchups, I guess you could say. I love when they do these conference crossovers when you see it with other teams like Syracuse and the ACC um, you know the styles change especially with Syracuse the team that runs a 2-3 just don't see it often whereas other ACC schools do Um, um, but I'm not sure if there's going to be much of a different style as there is really just competition level so I'm really excited for it high competition level it's definitely going to be the game of the weekend Um, and that's with me not knowing the other games I I would put money on that but (laughs) without further ado uh, how about something we've talked about this over the past couple times talking about college basketball um, uh, when we've talked about it and we talked about the Big East being so good. So I actually want to take a little bit of a mini tour here of the Big East for people who may not be acquainted with it this year uh, and talk about the teams like maybe just like a few teams that are really giving us conf- uh, confidence out of this conference. Um, 
to give you guys a quick tour here at the start from just top to bottom, uh, the Providence Friars, so they're two games behind Villanova in conference, currently lead the conference at a 7-1 record. But then you have Villanova, then UConn, then Marquette as your top four. Creighton at a 4-3 and three record in the conference is number five. Xavier's 4-4 four and four at six. Then you have St. John, Seton Hall, Butler, DePaul, and finally the Georgetown Hoyas, who are currently 0-6 in the conference, 6-11 and 11 overall. But this has been an incredible conference outside of the Hoyas um, and the Butler Bulldogs, every other team's above um, 500 in their record. Yeah, it's been an incredibly competitive conference. I'm just looking at it right now. Big picture, they have a ton of teams, uh, not necessarily towards the top, but in the picture. Um, you know, Villanova's number 14. They've been a powerhouse all year. Uh, immediately after them, you have Providence at number 17 in the nation. And then you have Marquette, Xavier, and U- or UConn all next to each other in the rankings. UConn's 20th, Xavier 21, Marquette 22. So that's five teams right there in the conference that are ranked, not to mention Seton Hall got exactly one vote, but still, they got a vote to be ranked um, you know, one they're one quality win uh, away from being in the rankings so that's six teams in the conversations for um, being ranked uh, I think you know that's already half the conference it's just been an incredible conference there's so much depth to it there's even other teams that are in the picture of being you know ranked I mean if Seton Hall is 12 and 7 overall and they have a vote for being ranked then St. John's could be in the picture with a couple quality Absolutely. wins Creighton could be in the picture with a couple quality wins. Um, you know, I think everyone else is kind of out of the picture, but that's six, seven, eight teams right there that are in not just the conversation for being ranked, but definitely to make the NCAA tournament. Um, I know I'm, not, I'm honestly beginning to believe that the Big East might be the next strongest conference in college basketball compared to the Big 12. Again, just so much depth. Um, Providence, Villanova, Connecticut, UConn, Xavier, Seton Hall, and St. John's, in my opinion, are all teams that are in the conversation to be ranked. And then Creighton's uh, kind of a stretch, but uh, just outside of that picture. So, again, sound like a broken record. Seven teams, majority of the conference, all of them can make the tournament. Um, Really deep conference and really fun to watch. And as a former Syracuse fan, this really brings me back to my roots because that's where Syracuse is from is the Big East, the Requiem for the Big East. Um, You got to love the rivalry they had with St. John's, Xavier, Georgetown, DePaul. Um, all those New York schools and Northeastern schools, um, you have to appreciate it. Villanova is probably the best. UConn was fun too. Um, it really never dies and neither does the Big East. It's been a real fun conference to watch this year and super deep as well. Yeah, I'd be very hard pressed to disagree with you about this being the second best conference in college basketball this year. Uh, I definitely would put it ahead of the Pac-12 and ACC. It's just a function of whether it would go ahead of um, the Big Ten and SEC for me. Um, It is an incredible conference. There's a lot of teams I like in here with UConn, who's been pretty consistently inside top 25 this season. You got Villanova, who's been uh, just one of those like foundational teams for college basketball over the past decade. Um, then you even add Xavier and they have some stars on that team. Uh, Virginia tech fans will know that they uh, shot up, uh, shot up on us um, during the, uh, what was it? It was one of the tip off tournaments that we had out um, in the New York area. Uh, but then you also had Marquette as well. Uh, Shaka Smart's first year with the team, and they have been incredible. Um, and, and even Providence, you know, the one team that I didn't mention that is, you know, leading the uh, conference right now uh, at seven and one, who have been just doing really, really well, um, getting led out there by uh, 
uh, Al Durham and Nate West, uh, Watson, just a really strong, strong conference. Um, and it's going to be really cool to see because obviously the big East is they, gen- they generally have like one or two people that are really competing um, for like, you know, like the sweet 16, the lead eight, like every year. And I could see, you know, a few of these teams really getting there. Um, particularly as I spoke of Providence as well, not only are they 17 and two, but you have to even, if you look at their record, because I wouldn't have even known this because I know Providence, like they haven't had a huge year for like a while now, but if you look at their record, their two losses are to UVA and Marquette, but they have some quality wins against Seton Hall when they're ranked Connecticut when away from home. Uh, you have a win against Texas tech, the team that beat Kansas, you have a win against Wisconsin, um, the team who, if you guys remember from a podcast or two ago, I said was going to win the Big Ten. Um, a, a pretty, the, eh, not a great win against Northwestern, but still they won. Like they have wins against not only Power Five schools, but against other like top schools, um, and have been doing like you know really well, including actually their most recent win, their most recent win, which was an away win against Xavier. So Providence has just really been going off this year. And it's been one of their better years that they've had. I don't remember when their last good year was. Was it like 2016, 2014? Like they're doing well. And the Big East just looks incredible. So with that, though, uh, sorry, you were going to say? No, no, I was just agreeing with you. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I mean, obviously, I'm good. I do want to get to this, though. If As, as you, the listeners may remember, we had the exercise of who we thought was going to win um the conference and obviously we're a little bit like we're just about at the halfway point in the biggies probably a little bit past um i do want to talk about you know not only our favorite teams like you know maybe like uh, our two favorite teams in the conference um in which i'll already say that villanova is unsurprisingly one of them for me but i think we do need to talk about who we think is going to win the conference yeah, I mean, again, really competitive conference. It's tough to tell. Um, just with the overall record of Villanova, I- I'm going to throw them out of the picture despite them being second in the conference right now. Personally, I think it's between three teams, Marquette, UConn, and Providence. Right now, I- I'm going to have to stick with my guns and say Providence. They've just you know, played the best overall, although UVA isn't the best loss. Um, Marquette was pretty competitive. Um you know, so I think my dark horse would be Marquette just because they already have that over Providence, although UConn is definitely within the picture. But overall, I think the offensive Providence is too strong um, and I'm going to have to stick with them right now. You know, I, I kind of want to lean to Providence and say, you know what, why not? But I am going to lead to the Marquette Golden Eagles here. Um, and wow. I mean, they're, they're, they may not be as impressive as like, at least I would have liked, but they have been going on a winning streak recently. They have won their past, uh, seven games all in conference. Uh, and you know, that's including the likes of beating Villanova away from home, beating Seton Hall away from home, uh, beating Georgetown away from home, beating Providence and beating Providence comfortably, uh, 88 to 56. Um, and they also have another matchup this weekend to, uh, you know, uh, at Providence. So that's going to be a very interesting one to see, but other than the gaming is Providence, Villanova and UConn, which they have all three in a row, they have a week end to their conference schedule. Look at it. So their last game is against St. John's, but otherwise they have a matchup against, uh, DePaul matchup against Butler, Creighton, Georgetown, another one against Butler. So they don't have that hard of a schedule left. And this is a team that's currently on incredible form. So I think Marquette's going to finish strong, um, being led by uh, Jamal Lewis and uh, – or, sorry, Justin Lewis and Daryl Morcel. Uh, Lewis uh, is one of the, 
probably like one of the players that you might miss out on. Uh, he's been very incredible this season. Um, eight re- leading team in rebounds and points. Uh, even Tyler Kolak has been incredible. I believe he's uh, the point guard for the team with the 6.4 assists and 1.8 steals leading the team. This has been a really well-rounded team here in Marquette. Uh, and I think that they're going to be able to pull it off and continue the streak. Maybe they'll lose a game or two on the stretch, but I think everyone in the Big East is going to lose a few more games because this, this is a pretty strong conference. So I think they will be able to pull it off. So that's why Marquette's my favorite to win. And Villanova's my other uh, favorite team out of this conference, not to win, but just, you know, because they think they're good. But besides that, um, yeah, I mean, Providence is also great. And it's a really good and fun conference. So with that in mind, um, to move on now, we're going to go and move on to, I just need to make sure I have this pulled up. There we go. Um, We're going to move on here to Virginia Tech basketball. And look, we've talked most of the time that we've had to talk about on the podcast. We have to talk about negatives or things to change or anything. And we could again, but I feel like it would just be repetitive at this point, right? Like most of the things that we talked about, I think we can kind of agree upon or changes that should be made. Uh, there's only one thing that I really want to point out from Miami, um, which would be like the last player uh, or, and everything. But beyond that, I do want to look at the positives for Virginia Tech. So with that in mind, how about let's look and t- take a flip here and let's look at the positives for this program, uh, possibly not even just now, but possibly even going forward. Yeah, you know, it's tough to tell, obviously, in uh, in this day and age after a huge loss like that against Miami um, like that. That's uh, what I said I was going to talk about later on. Um, you know, I'm actually working the tip off show uh, with Jamie and Drez and no one grabbed the tickets. So ultimately, I ended up taking them and grabbed my buddy Luke. And we went out to that game. And sure enough, we saw us lose on a half court buzzer beater. So um, it was rough. But, you know, I felt like I was right there in the middle of the mix because then I'm there for tech talk live where um, the host Mike Burnup is um, hosting uh, Hunter Couture was one of the guests. And then of course, Mike Young, which is a weekly occurrence. And so those are two guys right there that for very obvious reasons are deeply affected by that loss. Um, Look, in the ACC, they have had an absolute gauntlet of a schedule to start out. I expect them to get at least three wins um, in this next week because they have Pittsburgh twice. Um, you know, I think the schedule is going to be a lot easier going forward. Like I said, they started with a gauntlet. The only bad loss they've had, in my opinion, is against Boston College. That one, I think, is unacceptable. I don't think Boston College is that good of a team, and they haven't been for a while. Um, otherwise, dude, Miami playing that tight against a team like Miami who leads the conference right now has votes to be in the NCAA rankings. That is a good loss, especially in that manner where it was that tight and it went down to literally the last shot. Um, And so you have to be glad the losses you've given up are good losses and to look forward to the positive and easy schedule ahead of them. So right now that's my positive for Virginia Tech. I personally still think they're somewhat within the bubble picture, although that was a tough loss and they have FSU after this. But dude, who knows? If they sneak a win away from FSU, I put them back in the bubble picture. But you'll see once we go to these ACC rankings following that uh, right now I think I have them out of it, but they're still definitely within reach of being in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. Although I think right now um, the NIT might be their future. Yeah, I mean, I think the positives that I can look at is not only um, 
I think the biggest positive that we can agree on is the 2022 class that's going to be coming up, but that's not just talking about this team. I will highlight a little bit though. um, Some of the stuff that we've found that have been concerns, like uh, someone that we like, you know, our guards not being confident enough to cut and cut into the lane and drive for the basket. Uh, Rodney Rice is incredible. He's one of the best guards in the country. And I think he can certainly do that. Another combo guard, Mike, uh, Mike Young loves his combo guards, but then, um, Another issue that we've talked about with this team is the fact that they have not been great at rebounding, though. Uh, I did realize and talked about on 33 or 4 Sports Daily Radio. If you have not given that a listen, please do. It is very well run there by uh, Dan Steinbach and Ryan Wilkes alongside any other 33 or 4 members for that episode. Um, I did talk about on Wednesday the fact that there's a possibility that we have almost a height advantage against this team and that we are going to be getting those rebounds comparatively to them because their one uh, consistent forward um, wasn't a great rebounder as is, and the rest of their team was like mostly guards. Uh, so they started really small and comparatively, to, I mean, that's even comparatively to tech and we did win the rebound battle, but Patrick Wessler, the man who I was really going to with this uh, is seven foot and is rated as one of the better seven foot players in high school basketball right now. So I believe that coming into college, he will add a huge need to what Virginia Tech's needed for the past few years. And it's a big man, hopefully, to be able to uh, have some good interior defense, but to be able to get the rebounds for this team, to be able to kick it out to our really well-shooting three-point players. And with talking about that, the other bright spot that I really want to mention on this team was Hunter Couture. Hunter Couture has only had three games in single digits uh, over – Ever since the Basketball Hall of Fame shootout uh, game, which was against, uh, what was that against SBU? Yeah, that's against SBU. Um, Well, actually, no, that's including the Basketball Hall of Fame shootout then. But, you know, he's had nine points, eight points, and one point in uh, those three games where he went uh, under double digit. But otherwise, like, particularly in our three games that we've lost in a row, he put up 14, 13, and 13. Uh, He was one of the better players in the night for Virginia Tech against Miami. Um, He's just, I think, really been the bright spot of this team. I believe he would still have one more year of eligibility if he does want to use it. And, I mean, he was he's certainly been uh, not only one of the best pieces, I think, for Virginia Tech for uh, ever since he's been here, but uh, he's certainly been uh, one of the pieces to help keep us fighting in these past few games. And uh, I, I think if, with how well he's been playing, if you give him the ball a little bit more than you have been, I think that he can still put up more for you and possibly take a bigger step onto this team than he's had uh, in the past. So... I mean, he's just had a really solid season here for Virginia Tech, and he's been solid over the past stretch. Uh, that's really my other bright point for the scene. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, looking forward, I think we can trust that there's leadership on this team that's going to have them in the right direction. Um, but I, I seriously, hokey or not, I really do think they've had a gauntlet of a schedule. I mean, they've only had a couple teams that they faced that were gimmies, and that was early in the season. Obviously, Maine and Radford and Navy and St. Francis and Merrimack are all tune-ups, but that's what you get in a non-conference schedule. But, I mean, you have other non-conference games that were tough. Memphis, Xavier, that uh, Maryland was not an easy game either. Either. Um, and then they finally get into the ACC, but they have a couple games in between. St. Bonaventure was not supposed to be an easy game. It ultimately ended up being an easy game, and St. Bonaventure is still an NCAA tournament team. Um, Dayton, I think, was one of their bad losses. Um, otherwise, NC State and Boston College are their other two bad losses. Um, but even then, they've had losses against you know all other teams, I would say, are 
NCAA tournament bound teams, except for maybe Virginia, but that's still a competitive loss. Um, so again, I really do think it comes down to the schedule. Um, Miami is no way a bad loss. Neither is UNC. Um, you know, neither is Virginia, as I said. Duke's definitely not a bad loss. Um, but going forward, like I said, they have a tough schedule. They have Florida. But after that, it gets so much easier. And so that's the main thing to look forward to. But like I said, I was there for Tech Talk Live. Hunter Couture, obviously not the most talkative person, but still looking forward. Um, and so it's still a positive look going, going ahead. And I'm, I'm really excited for them. The only thing I am going to say about this, because I do think that this is something that does need to be discussed, um, is the final play against Miami. Uh, the final play against Miami, probably the worst thing that Couture did on the night, was, which was the miss and forcing it up as early as he did, um, which, I mean, was probably in the play call. But my biggest question was um, for you, and I, I think it's the biggest question, I think, for honestly the coaching staff, and I think it's something that's really going to highlight our points that we've made in the past, is why was Darius Maddox not in? Darius Maddox was one of the better players on the night. Um, he had 66% field goal percentage, 50% from the three, 13 points on the night, uh, and only 15 minutes. He was by far one of the best players on the night. When he came in, he was full of energy, and it filled this team with energy. Um, I don't know what like his plus minus would be. Um, I haven't really seen that's like that or anything, but he has been very solid, and we, we just didn't put him in on the last play. And to me, that's dumbfounding. Um, and I, I would say that about anybody. I would say that if Storm was you know on the bench and rocking 13 and with uh, the average that he was, he was or Sampadula, or even like Ojiaka or anybody like that. So to me, when you have someone who's been one of your better players uh, there and you know, you you had that that wasn't really a night where you needed like a Murphy or Padula on the on the court, or at least not then, not when you have like ten seconds left on the clock. Why is Darius Maddox not in uh, to be one of the two guys, or actually three guys really, between him, Aline, and uh, Hunter to be able to take that shot? Yeah, it's a tough question. I think Mike Young has made a couple questionable decisions, although I would argue he's done a great job with the squad. But I think it really is just that he's shorthanded at the point guard position. Storm Murphy is not an ACC point guard. He just struggles to distribute the ball and he's even worse at shooting. He just lacks the size, does not have the athleticism and is not strong um, for a point guard either. Um with that being said, I can't help but agree. Why isn't Maddox on the court more? And not to mention, should they run kind of a three set at the point guard where they're constantly rotating uh, Storm Murphy, Darius Maddox, and Sean Padula just to give those teams different looks? Maybe mix Maddox and Padula in as the at the two spot as well. Um, move Couture to that number one spot. I've seen him on the ball. He's big. He's athletic. Um, he really is a big dude for a point guard position too. Um, I think in the ACC, especially Mike Young with the Hokies, they have to get more comfortable with rotating different guards and forwards in um, and giving the team different looks. That's how the system has been ran at a lot of schools for a while now. Wake Forest is really good at that. Um, Syracuse was really good at that. Um, so rotating different guys to the point guard position, I think, is really necessary for a lot of these teams who don't have that one guy. Um, and let me tell you, there's a lot of ACC teams who do not have that one guy. Virginia Tech is definitely one of them. And though I did praise Couture even as well, I do want you to even keep this mind as keep this in mind as well. Couture had 36 minutes, Aline had 29 minutes, Maddox had 15 minutes. 
They all scored the same amount of points, and Maddox had three less shots to do it. So, to me, it's just kind of... To me, personally, I think that's an inexcusable decision. I think you have to have Maddox on the court there. Particularly when Murphy's one for four on the night. Padula had a bad night. They both turned over the ball horribly in the first half. Uh, both combined for seven turnovers uh, in the minutes that they had, 14 and 26. Uh, 14 for Padula, 26 for Murphy. It's just... I think Maddox needed way more minutes. I think if Maddox had way more minutes against Miami, I think we would have won. Uh, that's that's my two cents on that. Yeah, again, I can't help agree. I think he needs to start really rotating. I mean, Padula is already getting a lot of burn, and Maddox has been getting a lot of burn. But like I said, considering he wasn't on towards the end of that game as much as we want him to be, um, it makes me scratch my head just as much, uh, Cold Yarn. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, very unfortunate uh, loss with that half-court shot. Like, my mouth was definitely agape for a little bit. But with that in mind, uh, there is nothing else that we're looking for here other than the ACC power ranking. So, again, if you guys have not heard any of these ACC power rankings here during um, – sorry, what's my call? During uh, – the past few episodes, we're going to talk about teams that in, in our divisions here is going to be teams that we don't think are going to make the tournament, teams that we think are kind of on the bubble, struggling teams. They might be able to make it. And then the top five teams and the top five ACC teams are probably going to make the tournament. Um, but it's just who we believe are the top five in the conference right now. Yeah. Um, um, do you want to start going backwards from 15 or do you want us to start with that top five? Uh, we'll start with the bottom and then we'll move up. And just to, to keep the listeners here aware as well, we don't have like a set number of teams that we have to have in here. If if we want to, we could technically have one team in the middle and we can have like every other at the bottom with the in the top five. Uh, technically, we don't even need to have a top five. We don't feel like it's a top five. Maybe it's just the top teams in the ACC. Um, maybe you feel like there's no middle team and they're all, you know, the, all those teams are going to miss and then only those ex- certain few are going to make. So just for the listeners to keep that in mind as well, we aren't going to just have like five teams, four teams, five teams. It's just going to be like, you could have two, then seven, then five or some, some sort of variation like that. Yeah. I think uh, that's a really good preface for this because the ACC is certainly a mess. So I'll start from the bottom. Um, This is my out of it uh, category. These teams I think are out of the picture and well into the NIT if they even make it Uh, right now. My number 15 team in the ACC is Pitt. I know VT is ranked last, um, but again, I think they've had a an incredibly tough schedule um, and really only a couple bad losses. With that being said, Georgia Tech is 14. Syracuse is on a skid right now. I'm not even going to talk about it considering I'm a Cuse guy. They're 13. NC State 12. Boston College, a couple of decent wins recently, and they've made their way to the middle of the standings right now. Um, and they actually got a big win over VT, so they have that over them. But I'm going to put them at 11. And then the last spot in the out-of-it spot, VT, I still think that they have a really easy schedule going ahead, and they can move back up towards the middle of the standings and perhaps slip back into the bubble conversation. But if the season ended today, I would have them out of it. With that being said, my 9, 8, and 7, these are teams that are all on the bubble. If the season ended today, Louisville 9, Clemson eight and UVA has been getting a couple of big wins lately. Um, They move into that seven spot, although I think they'll be staying there. And then I have my good teams. These are the teams I think would either be on the bubble or make it in to end the season. Um, Obviously those top teams will be making it in. We'll start with 
six, FSU. I think they would make it in, although it would be close. Same with UNC at five. Number four, Notre Dame. A couple of good wins recently as well. They've been competitive all year and near the top of that conference. And then my top three, Wake Forest has gotten votes uh, alongside FSU. They're my number three. Duke is my number two team. Um, again, they lost to Miami, so I'm going to have to give Miami that number one spot in the ACC. Miami getting votes, and I think you should expect them to be in the NCAA rankings very soon alongside number nine, Duke. All right, so for me, I what I have here a very, very skewed bottom um, just because there's a lot more on the bottom, and I'll go ahead and explain as to why. Um, but we're going to go ahead and start out here, obviously, and we'll be going from bottom to top. Um, so for me, at 15 and 14, that does not change from the last time we did these uh, rankings here almost, just a little over a week ago. Uh, Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh, I still believe that they're the worst teams in the ACC and that whenever you have like some other decent teams coming up against them, I think when Virginia Tech comes up against them, you should really be expecting wins. So granted, you could have said that about Boston College, and now here we are. Um, at 13, uh, rather than Clemson last time, I have now NC State. They're starting to kind of just fall off, and I don't think that they're that great of a team. I just think that their schedule is just going to get probably a little bit harder from here on out, and it's not going to be great. Uh, you talked about Syracuse has been on the skid, and I, you know, I can't help but agree. Syracuse is my 12. Um, then I have 11 is Boston College moving up from 12. Not much, but they did get that win against Virginia Tech, and they have been a little bit more competitive. I debated between them and Clemson, who was going to be at 10. Uh, Clemson being my number 10 here, they were very competitive with Duke almost beating them. Uh, I don't remember if they were almost beat them at Cameron Indoor, if they almost beat them uh, at their own home, home court, but I don't remember. And we are still not done with my teams that I have out of it as I currently still have Louisville and Virginia Tech out of it. Louisville above Virginia Tech uh, as the 8-9 and nine rating in a sense. And I have Louisville out of it because they just fired their coach recently, and they have been on a very bad skid, um, a team that I would expect for Virginia Tech to currently beat at the moment. I feel like, you know, like they're in a very bad situation. So feel bad for Louisville fans a bit, but. Yeah, they, they still are ahead of Virginia Tech because they are ahead of Virginia Tech in record currently in the ACC at 5-5. Five and five. Virginia Tech's at 2-7. and seven. Uh, Some of the losses for Virginia Tech are a little bit deceiving. I think that they could, like, you know, some of those they could have pulled out, like a Miami, um, Boston College, and the first NC State game, uh, in which, you know, if all those games flipped just a little bit, they would be 5-5 five and five in the ACC, right, or 5-4 and four in the ACC right now. Uh, there's still a sliver. There is a sliver of a chance that this team can come back, but like quite literally, if you're looking at that Virginia tech schedule, I think they would have to win out. Um, well, maybe not win out, but they'd have to win just about all these games. They'd have to beat Georgia tech, both the pits, Syracuse, UVA, UNC, um, like basically all the way until that away Miami game in February, they'd have to win all those in a row. I think that they would have to win either FSU or the Miami away game. And then they'd have to round out by beating Louisville and Clemson, which would not only put them towards the middle of the ACC and put them on a good form, but then it would also, uh, you know, bring some of those teams down with them. So I, I think if they were able to somehow pull off that and only have two to three losses within the next basically month, then I think they have a chance, but that's it. So that's why they're in the out because I just don't think they're going to make it. Um, and at this rate, I, it's hard for me to say that they're even going to make NIT. Um, Above that, though, you have your middle teams, and I still have UVA and Notre Dame there, um, UVA at six and Notre Dame at seven, uh, just because they are still teams that have been able to maintain a decent standing here in the ACC. Um, 
And I think, you know, with that in mind, that they are warranted with being able to stay uh, in the bubble spot that their teams, that they're, they're pretty decent, but they need to go and uh, get some big wins and uh, just be a little bit more consistent. And I think the one thing for Notre Dame to point out as well, um, which you could possibly see them even slip out of this, is though they do have like a big win against the likes of Kentucky, they have not played that many big teams in the ACC. Uh, they still have Duke to play. They still have um, Miami to play. They still have FSU to play. Like, if you look at their schedule, the their Duke game got postponed, and otherwise, like they played their their wins are against Pitt, UNC, which is a good win, uh, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Louisville when they were skidding, and NC State. So this team's got uh, some competition here to go, um, and I think that they're probably going to drop some games in there, which is why I still rank them under uh, the Cavaliers. And when you go into the top five right now, my number five in this, I just want to make sure I'm all good here. Yep. My number five is going to be UNC. Uh, it's a decent enough team, um, but it's still not like a team that I have like full confidence in. It's a team that I can almost put in this bubble category. Um, but as I do want to kind of still maintain the top five right now, I don't think there's a huge disparity between these teams at the top. I do want to put UNC there. They're, they are my lowest, though, of these teams, uh, almost hitting that bubble territory. At the number four spot, I'm currently going to go ahead and put Wake Forest. I can't put Wake Forest, in my opinion, over FSU, Duke, or Miami, but this has been a very competitive team, a very solid team, and a team that, honestly, I think definitely deserves the uh, NCAA tournament uh, at this rate, so it'd be nice. Um Going up now to the number three in here, my number three is going to go ahead and be, it's hard to say because all these teams are really tight packed. So honestly, I'm not going to change my top three. And if you don't remember my top three from last time, my number three is still FSU. My number two is Duke. And my number one is Miami. I could possibly switch Miami with Duke because though Miami did beat Duke, uh, Duke's probably the better team. And on top of that, Duke's ranked. And even on top of that, they, Miami almost lost to Virginia Tech last night. Um, but, I mean, I, I find it hard-pressed to really change anything. Uh, all three of those teams have been really good, um, and FSU has certainly been on a tear as of late. The only issue with FSU uh, is obviously that big loss to Georgia Tech away from home. It's not a respectable loss for them. Um, but they do have the chance to make it up here. They have Clemson uh, and Pitt uh three times in their next five games after Virginia tech, which is also going to be played uh, tomorrow, Saturday at 3 PM um, on ABC, apparently. Um, but then beyond that, like they're still a solid team. They have a, a relatively rough schedule though to finish, but I think the FSU can finish out well. So that is going to be my list here as well. So without the, uh, you know, with, with, with really nothing else here, Kyle, is there anything else that we really need to be bringing up? Uh, the ACC stinks. <laughs> you know, um, it's it's a competitive conference. And like you said, the top is really tight packed. So I'm really excited to see the state of it going forward. Um, but again, those middle of the pack teams can make those moves. I still think VT has a shot in the dark with the really, really, really easy schedule going forward. I agree with you. I see Louisville going on a skid. Clemson, really not much about them. That surprises me. I think UVA has been a pleasant surprise and one of the most well-managed teams in the ACC. Otherwise, that top five to four is going to be really competitive 
competitive, especially between Wake Forest, Duke, and Miami, and Florida State. So it's it's an it's an exciting conference despite the state of it compared to recent years. Um, so it's still very well and alive, and uh, still a lot of hope for some of these top teams. And who knows, maybe we could have one of these teams representing the ACC as a number one seed in the tournament, preferably Duke. Um, but Miami and Wake Forest are and Florida State for that matter are all quickly climbing into that NCAA ranking picture. Absolutely. Um, and a quick shout out here before we end today's episode, just a big shout out to Virginia Tech women's basketball. Um, they just uh, did the sweep recently against uh, UVA, um, beating them. Uh, it looks like in uh, Charlottesville, 71 42. Uh, and they've been pretty impressive uh, so far this season. So, you know, it's just a great team and a team that's certainly going to be competitive towards the tournament. And I'm going to be excited to be able to talk more and more about them because they've been very, very good uh, in the ACC. But with that being said, I'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Kyle, I very much want to thank you for your time again as well. Um, It's been a very enjoyable episode here of the 33 or 4 Sports Podcast. And make sure to tune in next week as we'll obviously have more NFL news for you, more college basketball news for you, more football news for you, and a lot more fun. Thank you all very much for listening and have a great rest of your day.